Volume One, Chapter Eight of Rob Roy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Eight. Sir, quoth the lawyer, not to flatter ye, ye have as good and fair a battery as heart could wish, and need not shame the proudest man alive to claim. Butler. Our horses were taken by a servant in Sir Hildebrand's livery, whom we found in the courtyard, and we entered the house. In the entrance hall I was somewhat surprised, and my fair companion still more so, when we met Rashley Osbaldistone, who could not help showing equal wonder at our encounter. Rashley, said Miss Vernon, without giving him time to ask any question, you have heard of Mr. Francis Osbaldistone's affair, and you have been talking to the justice about it. Certainly, said Rashley composedly, it has been my business here. I have been endeavouring, he said with a bow to me, to render my cousin what service I can. But I am sorry to meet him here. As a friend and relation, Mr. Osbaldistone, you ought to have been sorry to have met me anywhere else, at a time when the charge of my reputation required me to be on this spot as soon as possible. True. But, judging from what my father said, I should have supposed a short retreat into Scotland, just till matters should be smoothed over in a quiet way, I answered with warmth, that I had no prudential measures to observe, and desired to have nothing smoothed over. On the contrary, I was come to inquire into a rascally calumny, which I was determined to probe to the bottom. "'Mr. Francis Osbaldistone is an innocent man, Rashley.' said Miss Vernon, and he demands an investigation of the charge against him, and I intend to support him in it. You do, my pretty cousin? I should think now. Mr. Francis Osbaldistone was likely to be as effectually, and rather more delicately, supported by my presence than by yours. Oh, certainly. But two heads are better than one, you know. Especially such a head as yours, my pretty die advancing and taking her hand with a familiar fondness, which made me think him fifty times uglier than nature had made him. She led him, however, a few steps aside. They conversed in an undervoice, and she appeared to insist upon some request which he was unwilling or unable to comply with. I never saw so strong a contrast betwixt the expression of two faces. Miss Vernon's, from being earnest, became angry, her eyes and cheeks became more animated, her colour mounted, she clenched her little hand, and, stamping on the ground with her tiny foot, seemed to listen with a mixture of contempt and indignation to the apologies which, from his look of civil deference, his composed and respectful smile, his body rather drawing back than advanced, and other signs of look and person, I concluded him to be pouring out at her feet. At length she flung away from him with, I will have it so. It is not in my power. There is no possibility of it. Would you think it, Mr. Osbaldistone, said he, addressing me. You are not mad, said she, interrupting him. Would you think it, said he, without attending to her hint. Miss Vernon insists not only that I know your innocence, of which, indeed, it is impossible for any one to be more convinced, but that I must also be acquainted with the real perpetrators of the outrage on this fellow, if indeed such an outrage has been committed. Is this reasonable, Mr. Osbaldistone? 
"'I will not allow any appeal to Mr. Osbaldistone, Rashley,' said the young lady. "'He does not know, as I do, the incredible extent and accuracy of your information on all points. "'As I am a gentleman, you do me more honour than I deserve. "'Justice, Rashley, only justice, and it is only justice which I expect at your hands.' "'You are a tyrant, Diana,' he answered with a sort of sigh, "'a capricious tyrant.' and rule your friends with a rod of iron still however it shall be as you desire but you ought not to be here you know you ought not you must return with me then turning from diana who seemed to stand undecided he came up to me in the most friendly manner and said do not doubt my interest in what regards you mr osbaldistone if i leave you just at this moment it is only to act for your advantage but you must use your influence with your cousin to return. Her presence cannot serve you, and must prejudice herself. I assure you, sir, I replied, you cannot be more convinced of this than I. I have urged Miss Vernon's return as anxiously as she would permit me to do. I have thought on it, said Miss Vernon, after a pause, and I will not go till I see you safe out of the hands of the Philistines. Cousin Rashley, I dare say, means well. "'but he and I know each other well. "'Rashley, I will not go. "'I know,' she added, in a more soothing tone, "'my being here will give you more motive for speed and exertion.' "'Stay then, rash, obstinate girl,' said Rashley. "'You know but too well to whom you trust.' "'And, hastening out of the hall, "'we heard his horse's feet a minute afterwards in rapid motion. "'Thank heaven he is gone,' said Diana. "'And now?' let us seek out the justice had we not better call a servant oh by no means i know the way to his den we must burst on him suddenly follow me i did follow her accordingly as she tripped up a few gloomy steps traversed a twilight passage and entered a sort of ante-room hung round with old maps architectural elevations and genealogical trees a pair of folding doors opened from this into mr inglewood's sitting apartment from which was heard the fag-end of an old ditty, chanted by a voice which had been in its day fit for a jolly bottle-song. Oh, in Skipton and Craven is never a haven, but many a day for weather, and he that would say, a pretty girl, nay, I wish for his cravat a tether. Heyday, said Miss Vernon, the genial justice must have dined already. I did not think it had been so late. It was even so, Mr. Inglewood's appetite, having been sharpened by his official investigations, he had antedated his meridian repast, having dined at twelve instead of one o'clock, then the general dining hour in England. The various occurrences of the morning occasioned our arriving some time after this hour, to the justice the most important of the four-and-twenty, and he had not neglected the interval. "'Stay you here,' said Diana. "'I know the house, and I will call a servant.' "'Your sudden appearance might startle the old gentleman even to choking.' "'And she escaped from me, leaving me uncertain whether I ought to advance or retreat. "'It was impossible for me not to hear some part of what passed within the dinner apartment, "'and, particularly, several apologies for declining to sing, "'expressed in a dejected, croaking voice, "'the tones of which I conceived were not entirely new to me. "'Not sing, sir, by our lady, but you must.' "'What? 
you have cracked my silver-mounted coconut of sack, and tell me you cannot sing. Sir, sack will make a cat sing, and speak too. So up with a merry stave, or trundle yourself out of my doors. Do you think you are to take up all my valuable time with your damned declarations, and then tell me you cannot sing? Your worship is perfectly in rule said another voice, which from its pert conceited accent might be that of the cleric, and the party must be conformable. He hath carnet written on his face in court hand. Up with it, then, said the justice, or by St. Christopher you shall crack the coconut full of salt and water, according to the statute for such effect made and provided. Thus exhorted and threatened, my quondam fellow-traveller, for I could no longer doubt that he was the recusant in question, uplifted with a voice similar to that of a criminal singing his last psalm on the scaffold, a most doleful stave to the following effect. Good people, all I pray give ear, a woeful story you shall hear. Tis of a robber as stout as ever, bade a true man stand and deliver with his foodle-doo-fa-loodle-loo this knave most worthy of a court being armed with pistol and with sword twixt kensington and brentford then did boldly stop six honest men with his foodle-doo-fa-loodle-loo. These honest men did at Brentford dine, having drank each man his pint of wine. When this poor thief with many curses did say, you dogs, your lives or your purses, with his foodle-doo-fa-loodle-loo. I question if the honest men, whose misfortune is commemorated in this pathetic ditty, were more startled at the appearance of the bold thief than the songster was at mine, for, tired of waiting for someone to announce me, and finding my situation as a listener rather awkward, I presented myself to the company just as my friend Mr. Morris, for such it seems was his name, was uplifting the fifth stave of his doleful ballad. The high tone with which the tune started died away in a quaver of consternation on finding himself so near one whose character he supposed to be little less suspicious than that of the hero of his madrigal, and he remained silent, with a mouth gaping as if I had brought the gorgon's head in my hand. The justice, whose eyes had closed under the influence of the somniferous lullaby of the song, started up in his chair as it suddenly ceased and stared with wonder at the unexpected addition which the company had received, while his organs of sight were in abeyance. The clerk, as I conjectured him to be from his appearance, was also commoved, for, sitting opposite to Mr. Morris, that honest gentleman's terror communicated itself to him, though he wotted not why. I broke the silence of surprise occasioned by my abrupt entrance. My name, Mr. Inglewood, is Francis Osbaldistone, I understand that some scoundrel has brought a complaint before you, charging me with being concerned in a loss which he says he has sustained. Sir, said the justice, somewhat peevishly, these are matters I never enter upon after dinner. 
there is a time for everything, and a justice of peace must eat, as well as other folks. The goodly person of Mr. Inglewood, by the way, seemed by no means to have suffered by any fasts, whether in the service of the law or of religion. I beg pardon for an ill time to visit, sir, but as my reputation is concerned, and as the dinner appears to be concluded, it is not concluded, sir, replied the magistrate. Man requires digestion as well as food, and I protest I cannot have benefit from my victuals unless I am allowed two hours of quiet leisure, intermixed with harmless mirth, and a moderate circulation of the bottle. If your honour will forgive me, said Mr. Jobson, who had produced and arranged his writing implements in the brief space that our conversation afforded, as this is a case of felony, and the gentleman seems something impatient, the charge is contrapartum domini regis. Damn domini regis, said the impatient justice. I hope it's no treason to say so, but it's enough to make one mad to be worried in this way. Have I a moment of my life quiet for warrants, orders, directions, acts, bails, bonds, and recognizances? I pronounce to you, Mr. Jobson, that I shall send you and the justice-ship to the devil one of these days. Your honour will consider the dignity of the office, one of the quorum and custos rotolorum, an office of which Sir Edward Coke wisely saith, the whole Christian world hath not the like of it, so it be duly executed. Well, said the justice, partly reconciled by this eulogium on the dignity of his situation, and gulping down the rest of his dissatisfaction in a huge bumper of claret, let us to this gear then, and get rid of it as fast as we can. Here, you, sir, you, Morris, you, knight of the sorrowful countenance, is this Mr. Francis Osbaldistone, the gentleman whom you charge with being art and part of felony? I, sir, replied Morris, whose scattered wits had hardly yet reassembled themselves, I charge nothing, I say nothing against the gentleman. Then we dismiss your complaint, sir, that's all, and a good riddance. Push about the bottle. Mr. Osbaldistone, help yourself. Jobson, however, was determined that Morris should not back out of the scrape so easily. What do you mean, Mr. Morris? Here is your own declaration. The ink scarce dried, and you would retract it in this scandalous manner. How do I know? whispered the other in a tremulous tone. How many rogues are in the house to back him? I have read of such things in Johnson's lives of the highwaymen. I protest the door opens. And it did open, and Diana Vernon entered. You keep fine order here, Justice. Not a servant to be seen or heard of. Ah, said the Justice, starting up with an alacrity, which showed that he was not so engrossed by his devotions to Tamus or Comus as to forget what was due to beauty. Aha! Di Vernon, the heath-bell of Cheviot, and the blossom of the border. Come to see how the old bachelor keeps house. Art welcome, girl, as flowers in May. A fine open hospitable house you do keep justice. That must be allowed, not a soul to answer a visitor. Ah, the knaves! They reckoned themselves secure of me for a couple of hours. But why did you not come earlier? Your cousin Rashleigh dined here, and ran away like a poltroon after the first bottle was out. But you have not dined. We'll have something nice and ladylike, sweet and pretty like yourself, tossed up in a trice. I may eat a crust in the ante-room before I set out, answered Miss Vernon. 
I have had a long ride this morning, but I can't stay long, Justice. I came with my cousin Frank Osbaldistone there, and I must show him the way back again to the hall, or he'll lose himself in the wolds. Phew! Sits the wind in that quarter, inquired the Justice. She showed him the way, she showed him the way, she showed him the way to woo. What? No luck for old fellows then, my sweet bud of the wilderness? None whatever, Squire Inglewood. But if you will be a good, kind justice, and dispatch young Frank's business, and let us canter home again, I'll bring my uncle to dine with you next week, and we'll expect merry doings. And you shall find them, my pearl of the tyne. Circus lass, I never envy these young fellows their rides and scampers, unless when you come across me. But I must not keep you just now, I suppose. I am quite satisfied with Mr. Francis Osbaldistone's explanation. Here has been some mistake, which can be cleared at greater leisure. Pardon me, sir, said I, but I have not heard the nature of the accusation yet. Yes, sir, said the clerk, who at the appearance of Miss Vernon had given up the matter in despair, but who picked up courage to press farther investigations on finding himself supported from a quarter whence assuredly he expected no bagging. Yes, sir, and Dalton saith that he who is apprehended as a felon shall not be discharged upon any man's discretion, but shall be held either to bail or commitment, paying to the clerk of the peace the usual fees for recognizance or commitment. The justice thus goaded on gave me at length a few words of explanation. It seems the tricks which I had played to this man Morris had made a strong impression on his imagination, for I found they had been arrayed against me in his evidence, with all the exaggerations which a timorous and heated imagination could suggest. It appeared also that on the day he parted from me he had been stopped on a solitary spot and eased of his beloved travelling companion the portmanteau by two men well mounted and armed having their faces covered with visards one of them he conceived had much of my shape and air and in a whispering conversation which took place betwixt the freebooters he heard the other apply to him the name of a spalderstone the declaration farther set forth that upon inquiring into the principles of the family so named he the said declarant was informed that they were of the worst description the family and all its members having been papists and jacobites as he was given to understand by the dissenting clergyman at whose house he stopped after his rencontre since the days of william the conqueror upon all and each of these weighty reasons he charged me with being accessory to the felony committed upon his person he the said declarant then travelling in the special employment of government and having charge of certain important papers and also a large sum in specie to be paid over according to his instructions to certain persons of official trust and importance in scotland having heard this extraordinary accusation i replied to it that the circumstances on which it was founded were such as could warrant no justice or magistrate in any attempt on my personal liberty I admitted that I had practised a little upon the terrors of Mr. Morris while we travelled together, but in such trifling particulars as could have excited apprehension in no one who was one whit less timorous and jealous than himself. But I added that I had never seen him since we parted, and if that which he feared had really come upon him, I was in no ways accessory to an action so unworthy of my character and station in life. 
that one of the robbers was called osbaldistone or that such a name was mentioned in the course of the conversation betwixt them was a trifling circumstance to which no weight was due and concerning the disaffection alleged against me i was willing to prove to the satisfaction of the justice the clerk and even the witness himself that i was of the same persuasion as his friend the dissenting clergyman had been educated as a good subject in the principles of the revolution and as such now demanded the personal protection of the laws which had been assured by that great event the justice fidgeted took snuff and seemed considerably embarrassed while mr attorney jobson with all the volubility of his profession ran over the statute of the thirty-four edward the third by which justices of the peace are allowed to arrest all those whom they find by indictment or suspicion and to put them into prison the rogue even turned my own admissions against me alleging that since i had confessedly upon my own showing assumed the bearing or deportment of a robber or malefactor i had voluntarily subjected myself to the suspicions of which i complained and brought myself within the compass of the act having wilfully clothed my conduct with all the colour and livery of guilt i combated both his arguments and his jargon with much indignation and scorn and observed that i should if necessary produce the bail of my relations which i conceived could not be refused without subjecting the magistrate in a misdemeanour pardon me my good sir pardon me said the insatiable clerk this is a case in which neither bail nor main prize can be received the felon who is liable to be committed on heavy grounds of suspicion not being reply visible under the statute of the third of king edward there being in that act an express exception of such as be charged of commandment or force and aid of felony done and he hinted that his worship would do well to remember that such were no way reply visible by common writ nor without writ at this period of the conversation a servant entered and delivered a letter to mr jobson he had no sooner run it hastily over than he exclaimed with the air of one who wished to appear much vexed at the interruption and felt the consequence attached to a man of multifarious avocations good god why at this rate i shall have neither time to attend to the public concerns nor my own no rest no quiet i wish to heaven another gentleman in our line would settle here god forbid said the justice in a tone of sotto voce deprecation some of us have enough of one of the tribe this is a matter of life and death if your worship pleases in god's name no more justice business i hope said the alarmed magistrate no no replied mr jobson very consequentially old gaffer rutledge of grimeshill is subpoenaed for the next world he has sent an express for dr kildown to put in bail another for me to arrange his worldly affairs away with you then said mr inglewood hastily his may not be a reply visible case under the statute you know or mr justice death may not like the doctor for a main furnor or bailsman and yet said jobson lingering as he moved towards the door if my presence here be necessary i could make out the warrant for committal in a moment and the constable is below and you have heard he said lowering his voice mr rashley's opinion the rest was lost in a whisper the justice replied aloud i tell thee no man no we'll do naught till thou return man tis but a four-mile ride come push the bottle mr morris don't be cast down mr osbaldistone and you 
my rose of the wilderness one cup of claret to refresh the bloom of your cheeks diana started as if from a reverie in which she appeared to have been plunged while we held this discussion no justice i should be afraid of transferring the bloom to a part of my face where it would show to little advantage but i will pledge you in a cooler beverage and filling a glass with water she drank it hastily while her hurried manner belied her assumed gaiety i had not much leisure to make remarks upon her demeanour however being full of vexation at the interference of fresh obstacles to an instant examination of the disgraceful and impertinent charge which was brought against me but there was no moving the justice to take the matter up in the absence of his clerk an incident which gave him apparently as much pleasure as a holiday to a schoolboy he persisted in his endeavours to inspire jollity into a company the individuals of which whether considered with reference to each other or to their respective situations were by no means inclined to mirth come master morris you're not the first man that's been robbed i trow grieving never brought back lost man and you mr frank osbaldistone are not the first bully boy that has said stand to a true man and there was jack winterfield in my young days kept the best company in the land at horse-races and cock-fights who but he hand and glove was i with jack push the bottle mr morris it's dry talking many court bumpers have i cracked and thrown many a merry main with poor jack good family ready wit quick eye as honest a fellow barring the deed he died for we'll drink to his memory gentlemen poor jack winterfield and since we talk of him and of those sort of things and since that damned clerk of mine has taken his gibberish elsewhere and since we're snug among ourselves mr osbaldistone if you will have my best advice i would take up this matter the law's hard very severe hanged poor jack winterfield at york despite family connections and great interest all for easing a fat west country grazier of the price of a few beasts now here is honest mr morris has been frightened and so forth damn it man let the poor fellow have back his portmanteau and end the frolic at once morris's eyes brightened up at this suggestion and he began to hesitate forth an assurance that he thirsted for no man's blood when i cut the proposed accommodation short by resenting the justice's suggestion as an insult that went directly to suppose me guilty of the very crime which i had come to his house with the express intention of disavowing we were in this awkward predicament when a servant opening the door announced a strange gentleman to wait upon his honour and the party whom he thus described entered the room without farther ceremony End of volume one, chapter eight. Recording by Felicity Campbell, Whanganui, New Zealand.